Thank you for downloading the In-Ear Entertainment up-and-coming podcast. For more podcasts and some brilliant audiobooks, go to www.inearentertainment.com. Hello everyone and welcome to In-Ear Entertainment's first ever live and first ever video uh, broadcast, essentially, which is quite brilliant. This is part of the what we're calling the up-and-coming interview series, where we find up-and-coming writers, artists, uh, musicians, actors, and, and have a chat with them, find out what they're up to, what they're doing, how they do it, why they do it, all of those questions, including... Questions like, like, who's their favourite Sesame Street character? Because why not? It's, it, it, I'm sure it all mouths into who they are. And today we are joined by a, a wonderful writer who I've had the pleasure of working with, which is absolutely brilliant, called Todd Keesling. And I'm hoping I pronounced your name right that time. Yes. Yes. Excellent. See, I'm brilliant. <laughs> I'm brilliant. <laughs> How are you today? Is everything good? I'm doing well, thank you. It's a, it's a wonderful fall day outside and I'm locked away in my office right now so <laughs> are you are you a, a, an autumn person a fall person uh yes I it's probably my favorite time of year uh, oh. it's not too hot not too cold so if, have you been writing today then is that is that you, you've been locked away writing or have you been editing what have you been up to uh today I've mainly been cleaning my office so it wouldn't look in complete disarray <laughs> for the camera excellent uh, no, I, I have been thinking about writing, which is most times what I usually do, but uh, the actual act of writing, that's another beast altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just to let people know, that I've, I've worked with Todd, or rather In-Ear Entertainment's worked with, with Todd. He's one of the writers from uh, the Exquisite Deaf uh, horror anthology that we put together, which is uh, an audiobook, because that's what we do. Um, he wrote a audiobook, uh, sorry, he wrote a short story called Radio Free Nowhere, which was written specifically for the collection, I believe. That is correct. See, awesome, an exclusive title. I like that. <laughs> and... I, I won't spoil it, and maybe we, we shouldn't spoil the story too much, but it, it's about a, a kind of road trip style story that takes a, a slightly different twist at the end, I guess. Uh, yeah, for the most part. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I was uh, on a road trip when I got the email from you about contributing. Uh, I was uh, driving with my wife down to uh, Tennessee, which from Pennsylvania, that's about a ten and a half hour drive, and we wow. go through the the uh, Appalachian Mountains um, and near Virginia, West Virginia. Uh, I'm originally from from Kentucky, which is in the southern part of the United States, and generally to go there, we end up going right through the area which is in Radio Free Nowhere. And I'm not, you know. I'm not, I don't want to say anything really negative about West Virginia. It's a beautiful state. Uh, I've just had a couple of really scary experiences there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the idea of driving down and getting lured off the highway into some backwater area and unfamiliar territory, it's everything's kind of foreign. You don't really know where to go. You don't have a cell phone signal. It's 
you know, what can I say? There are some there are some pockets of humanity out there, man. It's <laughs> been cut off from everyone else for a little while, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too stereotypical in talking about it. Like I said, it's a beautiful place, and people are very, very nice. Uh, but again, you know, I've I've driven through there in the dark one too many times. <laughs> so, so is Radio Free Nowhere? Is that that's a uh, sort of a well-established idea, I guess, in American culture? Is is I, something? If if that is sort of a well-established phrase, it doesn't. I don't think there's any direct translation over in the UK as to what that means or what it feels like. I guess. Uh, before I titled it Radio Free Nowhere, I, I Google around to make sure that I wasn't ripping someone else off uh, with the title. Okay. Uh, and Radio Free England actually is what came up. Um, wow. From what I understand, it was a basically a, a free radio broadcast that was unrestricted. Uh, and I, I'm sure someone's going to point out that I am completely wrong because it's been you know four months since I've read the wiki article about it. <laughs> uh, but I want to say it was during the, the Second World War. But okay. the, because it was unrestricted, the the wattage on the broadcast itself was so strong, you could actually pick it up here in America. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I, I've i always heard people say radio-free something, and I didn't really understand what that meant. And uh, so going into the story, I thought Radio Free Nowhere had a ring to it because I kind of had an idea what the story was going to be about, but as it developed, it definitely stuck. That 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 makes sense. I I in my head I had just seen it as kind of a, a dead zone, and I guess the the reason I get I, I was saying that idea didn't directly translate is, is we're a much much smaller country than you are. In fact, I think we're we're smaller than your smallest state possibly, or maybe not maybe not actually, but we're small. I mean, it's the north of Scotland to the southern of England is eight hundred miles, nine hundred miles. So okay. it's, it's not that big at all, and we're about 300 miles across. Um, so our broadcasts tend to cover most of the UK. I mean, there may be some very weird patches, but it's generally we get coverage everywhere. So you mentioned earlier, I just wanted to pick up on, you said you, you think about writing quite a lot. Is, is that, I, I guess I'm going to ask you about your process, which is kind of a quite a cheeky thing or quite a cliched thing to ask about. But do you... Do you find you keep everything in your head until it's ready to kind of spill out, or have you got a, a different method? Uh, it's my process is pretty organic. Um, everything starts up here, uh, and I could go years without actually writing anything down. I know uh, Radio Free Nowhere is going to be part of a uh, forthcoming horror collection called Ugly Little Things, and some of the stories and ugly little things have been gestating for, you know, almost 10 years. I just never had it really had a good hook to start with. I didn't know how it ended. They're just kind of scraps that float around in my, in my imagination. And from time to time, they kind of come to the surface, and sometimes I can put them together and mold them into, you know, a coherent story. Uh, but, you know, like, per perfect example is... Uh, I, I'm expected to uh, write the final monochrome book, and people ask me if I've started yet, and the answers vary. Technically, yes, I have, uh, <laughs> but it's all still up in my head, and I've been thinking about it for you know going on two years now. 
but I haven't actually sat down and set aside time every night to actively work on it because I'm still trying to figure out what that book's going to be, essentially. Was that was that series always a trilogy in your head, or or had you kind of developed the first story so that it could stand alone, but also could be developed for, forward? Well, it's kind of funny you ask that because if you were to ask my editor Amelia, which I don't I don't know if she's listening right now or not, um, if you ask her, she would say it was always a trilogy. Okay. I would say no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the first book for it to be a standalone, and then about a year after the first book was originally published, um, I had an idea for a possible sequel, and that turned into you know almost four years in producing The Liminal Man, and toward the end of that process, I had an ending, in the Elder Draft, I had, had an ending that wrapped up his you know, main character story completely. And my editor took one look at it, and she says, no, Todd, this is shit, and it doesn't work, and if you want it to work, you're going to have to add about 150 to 200 pages to the novel you've spent years working on. So I said, all right, Amelia, I'm sorry, please don't hit me again. Uh, And uh, here we are. Now it's a trilogy, and let me go through the spiel. She was right. I was wrong. The editor is always right. The author is always wrong. And uh, listen to your editor, kids. So, so was that? I, I'm quite intrigued now. Was was there a difference, or did you approach it differently, writing essentially what was the middle book of a trilogy, knowing that there was going to be another book compared to when you wrote the first book? It, it was. I guess did you go in with a different mindset? Were there any choices you made while writing and editing? that you wouldn't have made otherwise? Um, writing the book, originally writing the book, it was meant to be a standalone <laughs> story. <laughs> Amelia just sent me a message and says, oh, I'm listening, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was meant to be a standalone. I went into it uh, expecting to wrap up the story, and then that was for drafts numbers one and two. And then... Uh, Drafts number three and four and five, I, the, which is really when we dug into the edits and I was rewriting and rewriting and changing the plot and restructuring the plot. Uh, she's messaging me again. Sorry. <laughs> Amelia, you're breaking my concentration. Stop it. It's uh, what all good editors do. They, they, uh, they take you uh, off your train of thought to, get, to allow you to open up to other ideas. Yes, exactly. She's in, intent on kicking me off my cloud and bringing me back down to reality. Uh, no, when we were in the in the thick of editing the book and restructuring it, I was doing so uh, with the intent of it ending the way it does end now, with uh, planning a third book. I didn't. We really didn't. Uh, even though we started the the editing process on draft number three uh, in the summer of 2011. Uh, I did not commit to doing a third book until around, mm, I don't know, November, December 2011. So that meant that uh, the first half of 2012 was spent completely looking at it from a different angle. And I think that was necessary for the process anyway. I, I guess um, more options open up to you in some respects, and, and I guess other options close down to you. I mean, you, the freedom to 
kill off main characters, I guess, is reduced slightly, knowing that you've got to go forward. Uh, yes, yes and no. Um, there was always... It certainly added more constraints to what I could do. There was uh, now an expectation to answer questions that I'd always intended to leave uh, ambiguous, like what the monochrome is, that sort of thing. Uh, but once I started thinking about it and actually forcing myself to think about it, I came across uh, what I think will be a you know, pretty creative explanation. It really shouldn't surprise anyone if they've read the stories, um, but you know, we'll still add some clarity to this thing that I've created. So uh, hopefully when it is done, and no, there is not a release date, uh, when it is done, I'm hoping that uh, people find that it provides a sense of closure that they're looking for. That's, and in fact, I like that leads to a, a, another, this is, this is how these go. I don't have pre-planned questions. It all Fine. flows. Um, I've got all afternoon. Let's do it. Excellent. Uh, the, the, that sense of closure. Where do you stand? I, and there are kind of two schools of thought when you have a series of books. Is do you stand on everything should be neatly wrapped up, or do you like that open ending? And and I know uh, my my I guess my passion or, or my my biggest passion is sci-fi, and sci-fi traditionally likes to try and keep things open at the end, and that doesn't necessarily get mirrored through other genres. I just wondered whether you have preference over one or the other. Uh, it depends on the story. I mean, you look at something. I, I I don't. Maybe it's because of my my limited you know exposure to various mediums and stories and other works of fiction. But I mean, when I think of a trilogy, I think of the classic Lord of the Rings trilogy. And you know, I'm not really much of a fantasy guy, but I watch the movies uh, and. Everything, it seemed like every little thing was tied up at the end. Then you look at something like the Matrix trilogy, which a lot of people like to pretend it wasn't a trilogy, that there was only ever just one movie. I can't see a blame them. But I kind of look at, I look at both of them, it's like, okay, here's something where they kind of did everything right, and here's something where they kind of did everything wrong. <laughs> okay. And they wrapped up, like the Matrix still has a lot of ambiguity, but it, I think it suffered from too much ambiguity. If they had, I don't know, told a little bit more story and spent less time trying to be philosophical, um, it might have been received better, maybe? Yeah, uh, I, I can see that argument, definitely. But, I mean, to answer, the, to answer your question, I mean, I think it, it really has to be dictated by the nature of the story itself. I know that sounds really pretentious, and I'm sorry. Uh, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, that, that is a good question. Obviously, I haven't really thought that out very much. I've never been asked <laughs> that. Um, but that's, what, that's what I do, ask the, the questions that no one expects. That's, that's kind of the fun of this. Oh, no, that's, that's great. I mean, in terms of the, the ending for the monochrome, I have an ending in mind. Uh, I think it will be suitable for the story. It's not just going to come out of left field. Uh, it probably shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, if you look at like Stephen King's The Dark Tower series, uh, I hated the way that that series ended, but I understood why it ended the way it did. It could not have ended any other way, I don't think. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that's. I think there's quite a, a that's quite a common theme upon books or, or series that span out that they have to end in a certain way and and the reader may not it may not be the way the reader wants but the stories do dictate their own endings I I think I agree with you on that is you you have to you can't shoehorn in a happy ending just because you want there to be a happy ending you can't shoehorn oh. in this being fixed just because you want it to be. That's especially because it will start, if you start forcing that onto something, it will contradict backstory, it will contradict flow. Well, it's funny you mention that because that's exactly what I had tried to do with the earlier draft of my second novel, uh, was shoehorn a happy ending onto what I consider to be a pretty dark story. And uh, my editor called me on my bullshit and said, no, this does not work. If you want it to work, here's how you fix it. <laughs> so, long story short, we're now looking at a third book in the series, and the ending that I had originally written it is probably going to be scrapped. So, see, uh, I learned a, learned a valuable lesson there. Well, th this is where the 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 book industry needs to take from the movie industry, and we need to start releasing director's cuts. Exactly. M more work <laughs> for you, but <laughs> and. Well, there's a there's actually you mentioned director's cuts. I mean there there is about I would say about twenty thousand words that we cut out of the manuscript from the Limo Man that's just out there and sitting on a on a hard drive. And I can't say that it will ever be released. It probably shouldn't be released because <laughs> uh, pre I don't know pre twenty ten me and post twenty ten me were completely different writers. And uh, it shows, so it's probably best left in a left in a drawer, left in a left on my hard drive. I, I think uh, any writer's uh, I, I was going to say workshop or, or workroom in, in modern terms, hard drives are filled with drafts that they would never ever let anyone else read. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. I, think that's I, fair. I still have the uh, the first novel that I ever wrote when I was seventeen. And I go back and look at it from time to time, um, back when I wanted to be the next Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> okay. That's the uh, ideal. It's good to look up to that, I think. Yeah. It, 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 uh, I mean, I can't really knock it. it. It got me my start. It put me on the path that I'm on now. But, man, it was bad. Oh, God, it was bad. <laughs> Uh, I have a, I have a similar thing. My my degree was in creative writing, and I go back and look at my dissertation material and just bang my <laughs> head against. The the only reason I haven't deleted it is because I think it's quite humbling to look at it every couple of years and just go. At least I've I've come on since then. That that's good. Yeah, I still got the first uh, first short story I ever wrote. You know, seriously for school, and I was a I was a ninth grade. I think I was. 13 or 14, and uh, I had to read it in front of my class. Ooh. So we got the assignment on one day. I went home that night and wrote like a six-page story, and then one of my friends in class told the teacher that I'd already finished my story, even though we had a month to do it, and I had to get up and read it in front of everybody, and I'll never forget this. Uh, I doubt he's listening, but um, Daniel Reeser, if you're out there, what you said in the hallway that day after class about me writing the best short story you've ever heard, 
thank you for that. Awesome. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have pursued my career otherwise. So I think he's out in California working for the Air Force now. So cheers, Daniel. He sounds, I, I mean, and that's, I suppose there's, you want that at that early age, you want the encouragement to move forward and develop and move and go on. Uh, but I imagine your editor would agree with me that now someone just saying, well done to you all the time, is probably not the best thing to help you develop as a writer. Um, maybe you disagree with that. Um, I, I don't know. But no. <laughs> I mean, she, she would probably agree with you on that. The, you uh, definitely need to encourage to begin with, and then you slowly bring in the criticism. And it's a very delicate system um, when you're absolutely. when you're working with new writers. Do, uh, did you find even before you wrote your first short story, was writing something you were always interested in, or was it kind of sparked by that one assignment? Uh, you know. I go back and I look and I have people that I grew up with who contact me now and say, you know, I always knew you were going to be a writer. And the weird thing is, is that I didn't. Um, I mean, I go back and look now and it's blatantly obvious that writing is what I was put here to do by whatever higher power you, you know, subscribe to. Um, but Growing up, I was more of the, I was more drawn to visual mediums. Uh, I, up until my senior year of high school, I was going to go to college and major in graphic design, and I was really interested in film. Uh, my first novel was actually adapted from a screenplay that I wrote for a class in high school uh, for film, and, but at the same time, even though I was really into drawing landscapes and comic books and all of, you know all of that stuff there was always a story behind the drawing yeah. and it would get really frustrating for me and this is ultimately why I gave up the visual art because I couldn't tell the story that was in my head with this one single picture so when I finally sat down and started writing and taking it seriously, and realizing how, you know, I, this is going to sound like, sound the wrong way, it, you know, seeing how easy it came to me, because it's not easy, it is definitely <laughs> not easy, uh, it's probably the hardest thing I have ever done, and for some reason I continue to do that to myself, um, but it, 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 for the time being, when I didn't have an audience, when I had no expectations, when everything was kind of wide open to me, I could sit down and outpours this entire world that's been living inside my head. And I had no restrictions. I could, you know, say or do or you know, feel whatever I wanted. And in that respect, once I figured out that I could do this, it was, you know, I, I kind of realized the path that I was on. Do you, do you find yourself linking the 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 visual side of your as you said the visual arts to your writing? Do you feel you are painting with words or or anything that sort of poetic, or do you see them as two distinct paths and you you've just sort of shifted path? Uh, when I write, everything is a movie in my head. Okay, and that's that's one thing that I've been told repeatedly is that my writing is very cinematic uh, and I really attribute that to 
being a film buff, uh, watching a lot of movies, however terrible they may be, taking classes on film in college, and uh, taking classes in high school even on film. And so, you know, people ask me when the movie's coming out for Life Transparent, and I say, well, it's already in my head. I've already seen it, and it's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, it's only you that's seen that version of it, that specific yeah, it's, version. Yeah, it's, it's all right here. That's I, I find that fascinating. So, I, I suppose it's a slightly different tack. How do I, this is something that's always intrigued me. How do you describe yourself as a writer? Would you say you are a horror writer or a thriller writer or a cinematic writer? Do you attribute any specific label to yourself? Um, I used to just call myself a writer. Uh, now, for the sake of simplification, I may refer to myself as a horror writer or a uh, writer of speculative fiction. Um, and that's more so because you tell someone that you're a writer and then you try to explain what you write and then you, you realize that it's five minutes later and they've got this uh, glassy look in their eyes. Uh, that's the, that's the funny thing is that even though I write stories that have horrific elements to them, I also come from a school of thought that the story should dictate the genre and in a lot of cases, my stories defy genre. Uh, the monochrome series, they're horror stories, but they're also thrillers, they're also suspense stories, they're also mysteries, and they're also a little bit of romance. Um, and I kind of go into it with the intent of there being something there for everyone in some respect, uh, to, my, to my detriment, because that's one challenge I've had is you know, finding an audience is that I can't just go entirely to the horror crowd and say, here's my next you know, horror masterpiece, and they read it, and like, that wasn't fucking scary. Okay, well, you know, that's, that's kind of the trade-off. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I usually just say, you know, I'm a horror writer, a writer of speculative fiction. Um, I, I think that's I, I think that's fairly common, and that, that's why I find it quite a fascinating question as to whether people attribute those labels to themselves or not, or whether they have those labels imposed upon them by an audience, because no story, even if you take uh, sci-fi novels or Tolkien or any sort of novel, it's not just going to be fantasy, or it's not just going to be sci-fi, or it's not just going to be horror. There's always going to be relationships in there. There's always going to be suspense in there. And and it's quite interesting, these labels we have artificially grouped around things to, to try and define what people like. Right. Another I, example would be, you know, Ridley Scott's Alien. I mean, yeah. a lot of people will argue at length that, no, it's a sci-fi movie. No, it's a horror movie. It's both. <laughs> Yeah, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with it being both, but people get quite upset when you when you choose the wrong one. Um, we did have one question, which I, I, I probably means more to American audiences than to, to UK ones, just because we don't get this show. It's not as prevalent over here. But which Sesame Street character do you wish you could be, and why? Because it's not the one I thought it would be, which I know I'm intrigued. No, it's definitely not Elmo. He's amazing. It's not Big Bird, even though I'm I'm pretty pretty tall. Uh, I'm definitely not Big Bird. Uh, 
James Keene, if you are out there, and I'm pretty sure you are, because I know you're the one who asked this question, if I could be any character on Sesame Street, it would be Oscar the Grouch. Come on. <laughs> because he he's just a miserable little dude living in a trash can. Which will be my future if my books don't sell. <laughs> so, so buy, buy Todd's books. Otherwise, he will turn into Oscar the Grouch, and that's, exactly. no one wants that. No one wants I'm that. Already dude. one foot in the trash can as it is. Come on, people. See, I, I, I definitely should do do it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think. I mean, we've had a, about this about half an hour chatting. Blimey, we're doing well. Um. Where can where can people find out about you online? Um, what what would be the best way if you were someone was totally new to your work um, and and wanted to find out more about you and and buy your work? Where would be the best place to go? Well, if they just want to buy the work, they can go to Amazon and look up my name. That's K E I S L I N G. If they want to interact with me or follow my process, uh, my blog at toddkeesling.com, that's a good place to go. You can also go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Todd. I just want to make sure I'm telling you this correctly. Todd, facebook.com slash Todd.Keesling. That's where you should go if you want to interact with me. I'm pretty active on the Facebook page. I'm also on Twitter, Todd underscore Keesling. I'm not very active there because uh, time is my time is short, and I can really only devote my time to one media outlet or the other because I can't hire a publicist to do it for me. So uh, that's that's the next step. That's what you need to do next. Yes, yes. I need an assistant. Anybody who can work for free, <laughs> please submit an application. <laughs> Through through Facebook or the blog, not not Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Excellent. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for for coming along and doing our first ever video uh, video live interview, which has been brilliant, actually. No problem. Thank you for having me. And and thank you for allowing us to to look into your your lovely work studio, which is a lot more filled with stuff than mine is at the moment. Well, I, I like to have. Uh... I like to have some interesting mise en scene for the uh, inspiration, so that's, that's it helps. Excellent. And and as we said at the beginning, I'm going to do my little plug now. You can find out about In Ear Entertainment at our website, which is inearentertainment.com. Uh, there is a wonderful horror collection called Exquisite Death. And if you haven't listened to it, you really should. There's a sample on the site. You can listen to a little bit before you buy it. It's uh, £3.50, which is about $5.50. You can actually just change dollars. $5.50. <laughs> oh, yes, $5.50, sorry. And uh, in euros, it's €4.20, Euro uh, which is all the same price, but just in different currencies. Um, so you should go along and buy it and support Todd because he's amazing. And do subscribe to us and our channel and contact us and all those wonderful things and this is part of a podcast which will be going out weekly this will actually probably be the third episode of the podcast which will be audio only um, and there are two others that start coming out as of next week so thank you again Todd for joining us and, and your editor for making a little appearance by, by messages <laughs> and really hope you have a nice, you've got the rest of the day to enjoy, I've got an evening meal nice it's going to be good. So thank you very much. 
Thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to click the end broadcast button and we shall see you all later. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. Thank you for listening to the In-Ear Entertainment up-and-coming podcast. For more podcasts and some brilliant audiobooks, go to www.inearentertainment.com.